Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With LuckyLandSlots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm never going to get out of this town now, my Gory. You can do anything you want, man. Yeah. Sure. I'll see you. Not if I see you first. When you were a baby in your crib, your father looked down at you, you had but one hope. Someday my son will grow to be a man. And look at you now. You just got your asses whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds. Well, if I was you, I'd do something about it. I would get up and redeem myself in the eyes of my father, my maker, and my coach. Well, let's get those nerds! 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 Keep the change, you filthy animal. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Vintage Podcast. Cast, cast, cast. I'm here with the boys. You know what the real deal. You know who. You know what time it is. It's that hour. That hour. Everybody's favorite hour, or two hours for the most part. Yeah, it's mostly hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to talk about movies, everybody. Welcome back to another edition. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the Green Knight. A uh, movie that just released this last Friday in theaters only for now. Um, probably for a really good reason, because that's probably the only way they're going to be able to make money off this movie. Oh, uh, um, lies. But, but we'll save some of that for later. Um, until then, Hunter, what's up, baby? How you doing? Doing good, baby. Had a had a solid work day. Got a lot done. Good weekend. Celebrated my sister's 21st birthday. Got to hang out with you animals. Uh the four of us plus Mondo's two, some of Mondo's kids watched the movie on Sunday, so we were able to check it out. First time we were able to see a movie together for this. Yep. Uh, Market in the books. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one for sure. For this week, I'm kind of watching a lot of the movies that I've already watched for the man we're talking about next week. The one that I want to talk about is because I just finished the book is Dune, is David Lynch's Dune. Uh, I've already seen this movie before, so I just wanted to revisit it after I finished the book just to kind of see how much they missed and. I really wish he would have taken maybe more of his time to figure out a better way to go about this movie. There's a lot of things that are in it that are not in the book or happen differently in the book. And that usually that's how it goes. 
And I kind of just wish he would have stuck to that kind of script a little bit more. Anything that he puts out, I enjoy it. So I like this movie no matter what. It's not the best movie. It's not a great film, but I'm going to dig it anyways. The book's absolutely fantastic, and I'm incredibly excited for Dennis Villanueva's version coming out in October. Mm. Hell yeah, baby. I haven't seen Dune. It's been a hot minute, but I'll definitely be revisiting it for next week's podcast. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, Jake, what's up, baby? What's happening, boys? What's happening? Just want to let everybody know I got my twisted tea for the day, for the nights. Mm. I am ready to rock Mm. at a half bottle of wine on on the porch while I was reading a book. Your boy's feeling good. Mm. What book (laughs) are you reading? Uh, I am reading The Possession. He made that up right now. (laughs) (laughs) It is truly called The Possession by Fyodor Dostoevsky. The author is Dirk Diggler. Uh, Dostoevsky. I've, the only book long, I've, only book I read of his was Notes from the Underground. That's one of his. Yeah, it's a good one. I haven't read that's that. That's like either, one of. That's one of his most well-known books. Yeah, yeah. This one is. Uh, I think it's like a couple thousand pages. Ugh. It's, it's rough, though, especially especially the way he writes. Um, yeah. Fuck yeah, dude! Half bottle of wine with a book in the hot ass sun. Actually, it's, it's, it. it's pretty nice here. When you're in the shade, out of the sun, it's it feels good. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as my week, it's been a good week, been a busy week. Work's been real busy. It's nice because it kind of makes the day go by faster. And kind of, I had this little mishap earlier where I was, um, I was picking up a pallet of gloves. I sell, we sell medical supplies at my, at my, at my day job. And I was picking up the pallet of gloves and I moved a little too suddenly on the forklift. And the fucking whole pallet just went sideways on me and just <laughs> fell off. And I was like, I think the truck driver waiting there for me to load him up. And he was looking at me. He was like, what the fuck did you just do? I was like, I don't know, man. Uh, so that was kind of funny today. It was one of those things that like, if I wasn't in a good mood, it would just really piss you off. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> um, as far as what I've watched, I didn't really, I, don't, I couldn't recall any movies I watched other than I started the Gundams. There's uh, four Gundam movies of the OG movies on Netflix now. I watched the first two really good fucking movies. Um, a, baby. Classic, classic anime. Just super well done. Super intriguing storylines. A kid takes over a Gundam that his dad was like the um, engineer on fighting the Federation. It's good stuff. Yeah, if you got to ask what Gundam is, just don't even worry about it. What the fuck is Gundam? Gundam, Gundam, Gundam style. No, Gundam Wing is no. a 1990s or may, might even be late 80s. late 1980s. Yeah, I think it's 80s. Um, anime that basically revolves around it's a it's a dystopian future, and every, there's there's these suits that you could wear that give you like fucking powers and I don't know it's just a journey through space. Think Pacific not, Pacific Rim in space. Is, is there any f- future that's not dystopian? Dystopian. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. It'd be like five minutes from now, it's still the future, but we're still going to be on this podcast talking about the yeah, same shit. Yeah, like uh, I Am Legend is based in the future. But That's dystopian. It, yeah. Have you, read the, have you ever read the comic for that? A, I don't know, Mondo. I mean, that's a good... That's that's a good... Uh, Thank you. You guys were so quick to fucking shoot it down. It's depressing. I, I, I didn't say anything, baby. I didn't say anything. Thank you, Hunter. Eat a dick. I didn't say <laughs> shit. Hey, I'm in, I'm in my feelings today. Oh uh, my god. Orosito. Are you are you in Luke's room today? <laughs> <laughs> well fuck yeah, Jake. Uh Gundam's dope. Mondo, what's Good up, baby? Sick. 
what's going on, boys? I got this. I want to make this quote. I want to read this quote. And I stand upon my desk to remind myself that we must constantly look at things in a different way. It's Robin Williams from Dead Poets Society. Yeah. I think we all so I think that, we all knew. <laughs> so that struck a nerve with me today about the movie we saw on Sunday. So I try to be objective and look at it at a different perspective. And I just wanted to bring that up right now. I'll talk about it later. Okay. Nice. I, I didn't I mean it. to bring it, I didn't mean to bring it all down. <laughs> I feel like we already know everybody's opinions on the movie, but I'm glad to hear that maybe your opinion has changed from its former a little bit. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. Uh, as for me, ladies and gents, got no quotes to make, no fancy dialogue or anything like that. <laughs> I blew through the whole five seasons of Seven Deadly Sins this week. Um, just, it's been pretty solid so far. It's an anime, it's on Netflix. Um but it's basically about angels versus demons, um, good versus bad, and it's it's pretty legit. It's uh, definitely recommend worth watching. And that's that's about all that I watched this week, considering uh, that it was a relatively short week because the weekend was super busy. It feels like um, watched the movie, party with Jake and Hunter on Saturday, and then just now we're here on Monday. It's time to do this podcast, baby. Oh, honorable mention, I did catch up reading all of the Dragon Ball Super mangas. Manga? 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 Yeah, you did. Fucking beast. What is it? Manga or manga? Manga. Manga? manga? It's mango. Um, that's just a little honorable mention. That's for another podcast, though, where maybe me and Steven talk about anime. All right. Oh, I, I'm like- down... That sounds like no pussy right there. <laughs> Bullshit. Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. Disturbing. So the Green Knight, uh, directed by David Lowry. Uh, quick synopsis of the film. It's a fantasy retelling of the medieval story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. An epic fantasy adventure based on the timeless Arthurian legend, The Green Knight, tells the story of Sir Gawain, played by Dave Patel, King King Arthur's reckless and headstrong nephew, who embarks on a daring quest to confront the eponymous Green Knight, a a gigantic emerald-skinned stranger and tester of men. Gawain contends with ghosts, giants, thieves, and schemers in what becomes a deeper journey to define his character and prove his worth in the eyes of his family and kingdom by facing the ultimate challenger. From visionary filmmaker David Lowry comes a fresh and bold spin on a classic tale from the Knights of the Round Table. Wow. Today, Junior? That was great. You struggled with that. That was all on IMDb. Yeah, yeah, but you struggled with it. No, you did good. You did yeah, a good no, job. Yeah. Bro. You know what, bro? You you were more entertaining than that fucking movie was last night. That's for uh, sure. Oh on, man! Come on. Just when That's... you thought he switched his mind, <laughs> played you for a fool, boy. Oh my god! Classic. Uh, let's get into David Lowry a little bit before we get into the movie, because okay. he's done, he's done some he's done some pretty good things. Isn't he, he from Bad Boys? That's no. Mike Lowry. Oh yeah, that's right. It's Mike Lawley. Was it a relation? Just the last name. You, you never, you never watched Bad Boys. 
No, that's not what I was talking about. The relation between the, the two directors. Oh. No, Jake, we were joking. We didn't know you were going to get serious on us. <laughs> well, this movie is about, this podcast is about movies. Okay, so what's, gotta, his, what's his name again? David Lowry. He did a ghost story. He did a ghost story. He did Pete's Dragon at Disney. He did The <laughs> Old Man and the Gun starring Robert Redford, Casey Affleck, and Sissy Spacek. He's done a lot. Just, he's honestly done think... a Casey Affleck is kind of his guy. He's yeah, done three he's done three movies with them. Yeah, he's in a ghost story too, right? Yeah. How do you spell Mari? Is that is that Mo, is that Mooney uh Ro- Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, she's also in another movie of David Lowry's called Ain't Them Body Saints. I... Also also starting Casey Affleck and Ben Forrester. I I think I would, cha- great. I would challenge you to the pronoun- pronunciation of his last name. Lowry? I would say Lowry, not Lowry. I think Mono's right. I think it's Lowry. Pretty sure uh, it's I'm, Lowry. I'm, I'll pronounce it Lowry. A ghost story looks pretty fucking badass. How come I've never heard of it? Because it looks badass, but it's actually, it's very slow. Very slow. And it's, it's kind of like ghost, but not, but slower. And without America's hero, Patrick Swayze. Is there is it a horror? You know what I mean, movie? like it's no, it's not a horror movie. No, it's not thriller, suspense. It's like a love mystery kind of thing. Ah, uh, yeah, because I'm pretty sure Casey Affleck's character dies. Yep, and it's really about Rooney Mara's character, who I believe they're dating or married. No, I think she's married to Joaquin. Phoenix. She's married to Joaquin Phoenix. Um, and mm. her character, she's basically like grieving the loss of Casey Affleck, who's her husband in the movie. But his like presence is still there, so she feels him everywhere she goes, everything she does inside the house. But then she has to, like she leaves the house, and his presence stays there. And like it's kind of a it's kind of a haunting spin on a romance story. Interesting. So yeah. he's he's been around for, I mean, no, not that long. At least at least two two thousands, early two thousands. It says here that he's the director in all these movies made in uh, the Lullaby in two thousand, the movie Still in two thousand three. Yeah, none of them are, even. Were those shorts or movies? Yeah, I think they're guys? shorts. Yeah, they, they don't. Even, they don't even have a cover yeah. on them. You know yeah, what the cra- you know what the crazy part about that is? My conclusion to this movie we saw yesterday, it just reminded me that it's it, it's it's like a long short film. Hmm, I can see that. Yeah, it's very is. like very. So if if I were to sum up the movie, it. And I, I think I, I did this in the car on the way home yesterday. It was very visually appealing. And from a visual aspect, the shots were phenomenal. Um, the way the color scheme was and throughout the whole movie, the soundtrack, um, it was appealing to the senses. But like if you're going into this movie looking for like knights and action, which is what I kind of thought I was going to see, like knights, action, some magic maybe. I didn't get any of that, which is probably my own fucking under, like that was my own doing right there. That was my, I, I made my own bet on that one, which is probably mm-hmm. why I didn't really like the movie all that much in terms of storyline. So it's but, very much a, a slow burn, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so to, to your point, Mondo, the original script was only 85 pages and you know, the, the word of the trade is it's a minute per page. Right. So this only should have been, you know, an hour, 25 minutes and it was two hours and 10 minutes. Yeah. So they extended a lot of these shots very heavily with kind of like the slow motion Zack Snyder kind of appeal to add that dramatic effect to it. 
And as Mondo kind of alluded to a second ago, it could have been a little shorter, but I feel like with that just kind of intensity of bringing it with those kind of shots, at least for me, made it a little a little better to watch because I'm just anticipating it. And to so build it, on to, to it, build sorry, on that to build on that, David Lowry, he is the writer and director on this film. Also the writer director on some of the other movies that we mentioned already. And He's kind of an editor too. So I think that goes back a couple episodes ago where we talked about an auteur or somebody that can come in and do a lot of the jobs that are necessary for them for to make a movie. Because like to make a movie, it's it's the one art that you need to rely on other people to produce quality stuff, right? Like we've talked about this with composers and, and other aspects of the of, of film. And he kind of he fills that role of an auteur where he writes, directs, and he also edited this movie. After the movie was supposed to be released, I think, late March of 2020. And it was supposed to premiere at South by Southwest that year. I remember that. But, but it, it didn't because of COVID. And he saw the movie and he said, this movie isn't ready yet. I don't like this movie. So he went back and edited the movie for another six months to give us the movie that we saw on Sunday. So that, goes, that kind of goes to show where, like, it's a classic story of an artist not thinking his his – his piece of art is ready or done. And then luckily or tra tragically COVID hit and he had to postpone that, but it was actually a blessing in disguise for him because he had an, he it was giving him an extra six months to edit this film. Mm -hmm. He also, he also got mad sick on set. Dude hmm. like had to go in surgery and like thought he was going to die. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. What did he get sick he with? Had, like, I think he had caught like COVID, but it like, it went, it like transformed, mutated into something else. Mm, and probably. probably yeah there was times where he was on set where he couldn't even talk to the actors he would have to write down what he wanted to say and show it to them because he couldn't even speak because he was so sick jesus that's tight. it's pretty it's pretty fucked up too because he for like didn't tell his wife for the longest time and when he told her she just laughed at him he's also doing the new peter pan and wendy movie i don't yeah. know if you guys knew that yeah he is oh. he's writing writing and directing it for disney yeah for disney yeah Ugh. Oh, I know, I know. but but he's also he kind of said that like he knows that these retelling of these stories is getting kind of old. But I think he's taking a spin on it from the the play that the movie is based off of, like the guy that wrote the play, and a little bit of the Disney aspect of it too. So it's kind of combining the two the two stories together. I'm I don't know. Okay. Yeah, he's 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 solid, man. I, I I'm I'm stoked for him and his success right now. Like Jake said, I love the fact that he's he's not just a director; he's also a writer. He's an editor. I'm sure he damn well could light the set if he wanted to by himself. So when somebody is just a five tool player, you know you 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 inspire you aspire to be those kind of guys. And it's pretty classic because that's I feel like that's what a twenty four. I mean, the two other mind or names that come to mind will be. The two of the names that come to mind when we talk about A24 movies, obviously, are Ari Aster and uh, Robert Eggers. Robert Eggers. Yeah. And those, those guys write and direct their own movies, among other things. So to, to be able to put David Lowry, who was not somebody I really recognized the name prior to this movie, be able to put him in that aspect, especially underneath that umbrella of A24, where they're putting out these art films that are not necessarily supposed to be at your AMC or your Edwards theaters, most of your mm -hmm. house theaters, but... Because they, I mean, this movie was made on $15 million. Like, that's not, that's not a very big budget in terms of today's movie making. Especially for a fantasy movie. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I read that there was no video or VFX in the movie. A little bit of the CG, CGI, which we'll talk about with the Giants and the Fox. 
but as far as the the actual Green Knight, that was all actual makeup. Mm. None of it wasn't VFX. That's I wonder, pretty badass. I wonder if he kind of got any inspiration from Pan's Labyrinth to do to do his costume like that instead of you know creating him visu- visually. Yeah. You want to know what he said? One hundred percent. Some of his inspirations for the movie were Willow. Yep. And then a movie that. that movie we talked about last week, Lady Hawk. Because Lady, Ho- Lady Hawk yeah. was done on such a small budget, and they couldn't source a lot of the actual like because it is a ta- it is a period piece. They couldn't source a lot of the costumes because of such a small budget that they had. He he said he quoted Lady Hawk as being like, "I wanted to do it like that because they the costumes weren't so much of the of the of the hmm. period piece, but executed." But it, yeah. but his he budget also, was insane. Yeah. I mean, he also he also gives a lot of credit to like Bram Stoker's Dracula and the Dark Crystals as inspirations for making this movie. Hell yeah. And and Dracula and and Bram Stoker's is fantastic. And then the puppets in the Dark Crystals are absolutely amazing. So yeah, that's uh that's done by the dude that did Sesame Street, right? What's his name? Jim Henson and Frank Henson? Oz yeah. did their car, did the Dark Crystal. Yeah. Yeah. The um the Frank dark Oz's undertones. Yoda. Yeah, Frank Oz is Yoda. Puppeteer. Oh no shit. Yeah. Yeah. Damn, that's awesome. Uh, back in Green Knight, though, the the Green Knight, the actual Green Knight, was voiced by Ralph Innocent, who plays the dad from The Witch. Yeah, I and thought who, that was pretty cool. And also, the uh, King Arthur's wife is the mom from The Witch. So yeah. it's just I feel like it's just a twenty four kind of bringing back past actors. The to, production company being yeah, hey, these, are, these are our our people. Yep. So I, I, feel yeah. like that, I feel like that's pretty cool for them to just kind of keep their people that they have that are rising with them in that same realm of film. There yeah, was do, a, we, do we know who's in charge of A24? Like how they got to their humble beginnings or anything like that? No, but that would be some good research. Yeah. I think, there was it's a, a, I think it's a woman too. I don't know her name. Her name is uh, Amari 24. <laughs> I think, these, I think this I'm movie not. I think this movie set them back a little bit though, to be honest with you. I don't. I don't think so. I don't so. think so. I mean, did you, you guys, you guys are going into it as fanboys for A twenty four. No, so, I, you, I, so I'm expected to get a little bit of bias from your guys' sides. We, I went into this movie blindly, not knowing anything about characters, actors, writers, directors, and I just didn't get what. I mean, I just give me a little something that I came to watch. I, I, I appreciate the love story or whatever his his internal struggle story. I appreciate that, but but okay. Get, now give the audience a little bit something that we can fall back on in remembering was, this movie. There was the, the love story was hardly there. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I say that's it's a not, very um, underlining yeah. tone. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, I, would, I wouldn't say it's really much of a yeah, love so, story. So I mean, but I mean that's that's all Ma, that's all Mondo got. You know yeah. that, that that I think that's the point he's trying to make is he didn't really. Like I kind of left the movie scratching my head. Like, what was the movie? What was the plot? Like, the goal was to, like, I I don't know. I felt kind of shortchanged a little bit. Um, yeah. The I, fight, the fight at the beginning where the Green Knight walks. Okay, so I don't know how we're doing this this episode, but let's go from it, the beginning, right there. It kind of seems like it kind of seems like we're shooting from all cylinders. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna jump in, dude. Yeah. So that fight where the Green, so they're 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 at Christmas Eve dinner. They're all making jolly. King Arthur just talks to his nephew for what seems like the first time in his entire life. Um, and he's basically saying like, hey, 
uh, I want you to sit next to me because I'm ashamed that I've never asked you to sit next to me. And Gawain, is, is it pronounced Gawain or Gawain? I think it's Gawain or Gawain. 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 So, so Gawain is kind of like taken aback. He doesn't know how to react or respond. And King Arthur's like, tell me a story about your life. Mm-hmm. And the, the kid's like, I don't have any stories to tell. And he was, and King Arthur's like, not yet. And his wife said like, that. Oh, his wife said that. And, yeah. and then and Gawain is like, yeah, that's right. Not yet. And so then in walks this, this giant beast on horseback, holds up a tree branch and King Arthur waves him in. Like, first of all, no, I'm not waving you in bullshit. Second of all, this guy throws down a challenge to everybody in the room and King Arthur's knights don't want to fight him. Uh, it was, it wasn't their story. It wasn't their story. I, so and I think you're missing, you're missing key element there too, because so let me finish, green, but the green knight wasn't just walked in. He was summoned. Yeah. Who summoned him? Yeah. Uh, oh, Gawain, Gawain, Gawain's, Gawain's, Gawain's mother. Gawain's it doesn't mother. matter. Doesn't which, matter. I which I don't get that part. She's, yeah. she's a witch. Yeah. But that, that's, with a so, yeah, the, green, the green knight was summoned by by king arthur's sister to walk into that room and so anyways the point i'm trying to make is it's a room full of badasses no one steps up except for gawain who is doesn't even like, have a sword who's 150 pounds of of skin and bone no muscle on him no muscle no, tone. he's kind of buff and doesn't yeah to your point doesn't have just, a sword just because you're skinny doesn't make you buff and and he's the one who steps up in a room full of King Arthur's roundtable knights. So in the land of King Arthur and the roundtable, I grew up watching the cartoon King Arthur and the roundtable. Most people don't even know what the fuck that is. And King Arthur's knights, in my mind, will forever be the most mythological badasses to ever fucking walk Earth. And none of them fucking stepped up. And so the Green Knight, you're expecting like this sword, this sword battle. I expected it. And so the Green Knight fucking gives... Gawain his head and like here take my head well the story the the challenge was he walked in and said the so start back Gawain's mom had written this letter Morgan Le Fay and then who that's not who she her name actually is in, in it but it is said that that is Morgan Le Fay who is also um she was taught and Merlin taught her mm-hmm. so she learned the dark arts from Merlin Who's also in the movie with the guys with the kids, the guy with the eye tats. Um, so she's, she fills out this letter and then it gets, it, it dissolves in the air through fire and then it appears in the Green Knight's hand. The Green Knight hands it over to King Arthur and then King Arthur's wife reads it and it's a, it's a Christmas game. And the, essentially the game is whatever you do unto me, I will do unto you in one year's time. So being that, I feel like it was a test to gay to Garwin, to Gaywin at first. Like, like I mean, honestly, if he would have just walked up, and when the Green Knight put his axe down and he put his sword down, none of this would have happened, and he probably would have got more credit for that, anyways. You know what I mean? Like, but for the story, he cut off the knight's head, and thus a year passes, and he has to go. He has to visit the knight. So the knight could do onto him what was done onto him. You follow me there? Yeah, I I, I actually kind of like the way the Green Knight entered. I mean, he raises like this olive branch of peace, and that's what kind of allows lets kind of Arthur know that like yeah. okay, he's he's not here to just come in here and like try to kill all of us at once. Because realistically, if any of those knights would have stepped up and actually battled the Green Knight, he would have killed all of them, according to the the tale. And that King Arthur is the same King Arthur from the Guy Ritchie King Arthur movie. Do you know that? 
It did. I thought it was I thought it was Charlie Hunnam that was in the King Arthur movie with. I think he's one of the knights. I could have sworn it was I could have sworn it was Charlie Hunnam. And so I'll just I'll correct you on that little one of those last things you said. Uh, He didn't walk in with the olive branch. He walked in with the mistletoe, and and a mistletoe. What it does uh, a mistletoe is like a parasite for trees. It attaches itself to uh, to a host tree. And it absorbs all the, the nutrients from the tree. The tree ends up dying. Is that something that you researched and found out, or are you just that's just off your eyes that you saw? Um, no, I've known about the mistletoe for a long time because I did a, I did a, some research about uh, how like the stuff we celebrate and use for Christmas. But is that like connected to this old Arthurian tale, or is that just something? Oh that's... no, that no, that's just something that's like um, it's a it's science. Like it's missile. He well, I mean, he walked is, in with the mistletoe. I mean, this I, isn't a science movie. This is a this is a fucking fantasy film. Yeah, no, but the analogy is he's walking in with the mistletoe saying he's not there for good things. He's there for harm. I know that's, that's also... That's, uh, I don't think that's correct. There's a... Um, I, I mean, I'm, I don't know the name of it, but I know in these pagan uh, Western Europe, European like folklore, the Celtics. there's a... There's a... I forget the name, of the name of the bush, but they plant the bush because it's supposed to ward off evil spirits in times of Christmas. And it go, kind of goes along with the Yule log. We're supposed to light the Yule log to, so that nothing evil comes down the chimney. Um, and maybe that's what it was. And he was like releasing it because if I'm fast tracking a little bit, because if you look back at the end of the movie, when when Gar, when Gawain's character takes off his his belt sash, uh, his, sash. His, his sashel of uh, of. I mean, what's the word I'm looking it's, for? It's an enchanted sash to keep him it's protected. A, exactly. There's a, a word I'm looking for, but it's an enchanted sash to keep him protected so nobody can strike him. And he's wearing that, and then he ends up taking it off. So maybe it was kind of like that, too. He's dropping his piece of magic so he could be struck. Mm-hmm. And then full store, full closure at the, end of it, at the end of it, he sees Galen take off his sash that, so he can mm-hmm. be struck. Huh. And then exposes himself. So they're both exposing themselves at that point. Right? I, like, I, I like that. I like that. I do like that. It was a holly could, bob. Not mistletoe. Ooh, holly, the holly tree. The holly tree. Not a... The holly tree is a wicked uh, tree. So, so Jake was right. Yeah, the, the holly tree is what they plant. Yeah. Nice. Uh, nice, Jake. It's a pagan symbol used by Christians to celebrate Christmas. Yeah. Sick. And to ward off evil spirits. And well, they used to make wand. They used to make magic wands out of the Hollywood, and um, that's why Hollywood is called Hollywood because it's wood from the holly tree. That's sick. I like that. I feel like that. I feel like, like I feel like that kind of explains a little bit more of like the bookend between those two characters a little bit more. Yeah, I feel like this movie, Gay One's character from the jump, he's never doing what he's supposed to be doing because yeah. in that initial opening sequence we see that that couple walk in and we it's like a shot through the window the couple walks in grabs a horse but in the distance there's a building on fire and then it and then it pulls out and we see Gawain asleep and he's essentially asleep in a brothel he's essentially, he's essentially asleep in a brothel and come to find out he's a knight and the nephew of king arthur the king of the land the king of Camelot. So I, the whole story, he's never doing the right thing until the very end. Though, like he, I mean, even to the, like, you know, I don't want to jump, keep jumping the gun here, but 
he does it those two times he's ever he ever does the right thing is when he stands up and he proclaims like he can challenge the green knight because he knows he needs a story to be told and then at the very end when we'll, we'll get to so i don't want to spoil it too soon so that's the only time in the whole story that he ever does what is supposed to be done by him right like especially according to like the knight's code back then He's kind okay. of a coward. Was he's he a coward. really was he really a knight? Because he he was proclaiming that he wasn't a knight. No, I don't think he was a, like um, I don't think he was an appointed knight. I think he was just a member of the royal family. And, uh, he, well, he does tell that that boy that's at the battlefield that he wasn't a knight. Yes, yeah. because the boy the boy tells him, "Oh, you look like a knight. Are you a knight?" And he's like, yeah. "No, I'm just a traveler. I'm just a traveler." Yeah. He didn't get. He didn't get knighted till the end of the movie, almost. Yeah, but, yes, not even, right. but that was a, just an, uh, part of his imagination. Yeah. Uh, yeah we, I, we actually don't know how his uh, how his life ended. Another little Wait. note I have from this is the Green Knight, right? It's about this, this, what we know as the Green Knight. Is the Green Knight is this emerald-skinned creature, this tree creature with with green costume and he's green, right? He's green as in nature, as in earth, as in that stuff. But could the green knight also not be Gawain? Because Gawain is green. He doesn't have any stories to be told. He's fresh, he's scared, he trembles, he cries. But green is also green. Green also means new. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. So is Gawain not also the green soon-to-be knight? Think about that. Yeah, because I mean, the whole story is, at least for me, when you first see this movie is he's from the very jump, he's a coward. And I feel like... How can he be a coward if he stepped up to the the monster guy, the Green Knight? No, I feel like he only stepped up because of King Arthur asking him, tell me a story. And he's like, I have nothing to tell. Yeah, but that's still some balls. That fucking dude was fucking menacing. Yeah, I I guess you're right. But every other incident that he goes through in his journey, he's a complete real coward. I think he's more of an idiot than he is a coward. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think, would say yeah. A mixture of the two. I would yeah. He, I would he has traits of he has traits of of idiocracy, but cowardliness is, and I think it just goes back to his greenness. Also, being green does not not really knowing what to do. He doesn't right. have. He was or, still trying to find his threshold. Yeah, and he, I mean, we don't see a fatherly presence in him other than other than King Arthur. Who King Arthur up until that point when the Green Knight walks in has no idea what even Gawain's about. And yeah, he said, he's on his deathbed. He doesn't know shit. So I, yeah. I mean, let, let's let's get into. I want to get into that. Uh, let's. I mean, we could fast forward a little bit. That scene where we meet that boy on the battlefield, where nine hundred and twenty soldiers were killed. Right. Yeah, because it was that all was, done by one man. That was in, the the first test. Yeah. In, who was that? In folklore, those are people that King Arthur had killed at his prime. Hmm. So, because the boy also says, yeah, one man did this. Can you believe that? I'm looking for my brothers. Ha ha ha. It's very, it's very Fury-esque in the beginning of Fury where you see all the horses and they're in the tank. And it's like, it's, it's very, very somber. It's death. I kind of think that that boy was a ghost is because, I mean, we, we know that this is a story of mythological beings. I think this is a, a boy that might've died on that battlefield to the hands of King Arthur 
Because we don't see really see him again until that very end scene when he's when Dave Patel Gawain's character is on his way back and he's kind of he's kind of uh, transparent, right? Well, I get what I get more out of that is especially after what you just said is um, it's about how um, death and destruction doesn't have to come from um, it it can come from higher up. So there's one person in control of everybody's lives here. I don't know. I'm just thinking, trying to think outside of the box here. Yeah. I kind of, and I kind of that's back what, what, that, so I was going to say, I, no, no, you're, you're right. I was going to say, I kind of back what Jake says because the whole movie, we don't really know what's real and what's not because he's, he's constantly having these like hallucinations or right. like these premonitions of what's happening around him. So I, I feel like it's give or take of like, is this real? Is it not? He's seeing ghosts. He's talking to foxes. He's seeing giants. Yeah. Like, are all of these things real? Or is this just a figment of his imagination yeah. being out and trying to create this grand quest that he can go and tell on to make himself look a little bit better? We really don't know. Yeah. And to fall. And after that scene, when he kind of, cause he gets his, he gets all of his, all of the shit stolen from him. And there's two things I want to bring up here. This, it's a pagan folklore, essentially, with the paganism, with the with the magic, the witchcraft, the giants, the Green Knight. But he's also hiding behind Christianity, like it's broken from him. So he's kind of breaking his greenness at that point. The protection that Christianity has brought onto people, which is that you are saved, right? You could do you could do anything, but you are saved if you are if you ask for forgiveness from from your Lord and Savior. That gets broken in it in sense in the sense of the shield gets broken. So I think that kind of starts. I, I mean, it starts the story fresh at that point because now he's starting from zero. He has nothing. Nobody gives a fuck who he is. Nobody cares that he's King Arthur's nephew, soon to be heir to the throne, and and those being that it's happened from somebody that we might. But not nobody cared. Who, nobody cared about that before that happened. True. It's true. I don't get I, I don't get the I don't get the correlation there that you uh, we we just said. What the shedding of the shedding of Christianity? Yeah. Well, I think I, I just think I mean it's literally the shield that is the shield is on the back of the shield is painted with I think it's like the father holding the babe. With, no, with it's the, the Virgin Mary. Yeah, it's the Virgin it, Mary. Is it the Virgin Mary? Yeah, yeah well, it's the Virgin Mary. Well, uh, another very prominent figure in the christian in christianity and it gets broken so it's it's so you think that, that's a symbol for them saying i that? mean he gets blessed before he walks out i think it's a symbol of saying like not not downplaying christianity but i think it's it's more so you have no more protection on your journey you have to go through through you have to go through this on your own you can't you don't have anybody to protect you Nobody's going to save you. Your soul will not be saved unless you go through this. And we see that go on at the end when he talks to the fox at the last scene, but we won't jump that far. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree because I feel like a, a, a good amount of solo epic tales kind of have that where the hero sets off in the journey with all of these resources to help him with his journey. And the first step is that he loses them. And when I watched this movie, the first thing that popped in my head was Barry Lyndon when he goes yeah. out and he gets robbed like immediately from leaving uh, his, his town or whatever. Which so is an like, influence on this movie. You know, so I feel like that's just kind of, it just breaks the character down so much that now he needs his wit and his, his, his mind and his inner strength to be able to prevail without these other resources to make, which he has nothing, which he has nothing of. It's never, never yeah. demonstrated that he had an inkling of any of that stuff. 
Yeah, but I feel like I don't think the I don't think the shield breaking means anything about breaking something with religion and that he's not protected by anything anymore because if if it was a statement that had something to do with religion, um, a shield with the image of something is not what the religion is based on. Why put it there? Why put it there? Yeah, the shield's supposed to protect you, and then it was a full frontal shot of them breaking it. So I feel like they jumped on it and they broke it. Yeah, I feel like they put a lot of emphasis on it. So I feel like that could be what Jake's kind of alluding to right now. I think that that was just to be basically everything that he took to protect himself in the battle with the Green Knight was taken away from him. It's gone. Which is also Christianity. There's another scene that happens immediately after that, the shield breaking, where the camera pans left, clock, it pans, no, it pans right, it goes clockwise. And then it comes full circle and we see, we see his skeleton there, his decaying body there, right? Because we see all the other things. Everything has kind of grown over on the stuff that has been thrown off the horse and stolen from him and the shield. Everything's grown. And then we see his skeleton body. And then the camera switches and it goes counterclockwise. And it goes right. the other way. And it redoes what we just saw. So it was like we saw the future of time if he didn't act. And then we, and then we saw – and then we reversed the future to go back to the present for him to actually act and do something, which he ends up doing. He breaks free from the, from the ropes that he was tied up on. I thought that was a pretty cool – like something with a budget with $15 million, you have to get more – you have to be more aware of camera tricks and being able to do things like that because you can't rely on CGI. Because, well, I mean, if they wanted to rely on CGI, they, they could have just done it with the – what? That's why they did those scenes in the dark. It was in the dark. It was like yeah, it was dark. You're in the dark, but I still like the shield breaking is just as. I mean, I I appreciate how you view it, but to me, it's it's just a demonstration that these little fuckers jacked him, and they're they didn't care about him. Well, because I think the whole the whole stages that he went through, as I alluded to earlier, is like the five virtues of being a knight, and I think the first one is is courtesy. I might, I might be wrong, but it's something along those lines. And, if you, and it's more alluded to the fact that he's got this big bag of coins and this guy who gives him directions is, is asking for something. He gives him nothing in return. And then when he asks him again, he gives him like one silver coin. So I feel like that's just like was like the first test and he failed it. And that's why they took all of his stuff. Obviously, they're, they're robbers in the movie. So they would have taken his stuff anyways. But I feel like when it comes to the mythological lore of it, like that was what they were trying to you know, show to the eye. And which is an act that continues throughout this movie is yeah. him failing yeah. these over and over again. And cause I mean, I think the next scene is he gets to that house where the, the ghost comes Weird. approaches him. Right. That's like, that's Weird. like the next kind of sequence. Yeah. And she asks him for a favor because she cannot, she asks him, can you jump into this lake and retrieve my head? Basically, so I can die in peace, so my body can be complete, and I could have my my full, my soul can lay to rest. And he asks her, "What do I get out of this?" And she's like, yeah. "What do you What do you mean?" I mean, he ends up getting his axe back out of it, but she's like, "Nothing. Just fucking do it, man. Like, jump jump in the lake for me. Go get my head." It was more than the lines of like, "How dare you ask me that question." Right. Well, yeah, I feel like she was kind of telling him basically like, oh, you've already failed, really. Like, yeah. like you're you're supposed to be this grand uh, special person being a knight. 
or even though he's not an appointed knight, she might assume that he is, or he's on the way to be one, but he doesn't have these virtues that the rest of the knights have. Yeah, but see, the, te- the, test, for her. the test for his virtuosity were just two simple things. Like, it should have been more difficult, and um, it should have showed more of how he overcame it in the movie instead. But he doesn't um, overcome anything. Got, yeah. Not until the very end does he overcome something. He continues to fail and fail and fail, which I feel like, back to the Christianity standpoint, is something that is that. something that is preaching the religion. No, hear me out. Because in in Christianity, you can live a life of sin as long as you ask for forgiveness at the end. And he continues to fail. And at the end, his last his last stand essentially is him becoming brave, him asking for forgiveness, and he is forgiven. I didn't get any religious vibes from this movie whatsoever, dog. It's, it's intertwined. It's tied in. It's not – on face value, no. But you got to look at the actual the, – the themes of what is going on. Yeah, I, I, I kind of back Jake here. And I also I also really like how, you know, Jake brought it up earlier is the, the use of Camatrix. And Stephen mentioned earlier the coloring scheme of this film. And the, the moment where he dives into the lake, you know, maybe off the so beautiful. maybe maybe right off the gate, you're thinking there's a monster down there, there's mermaids, there's something down there that's gonna try to kill him to get this. But the second he jumps in and it just goes red, and you just get this this empty kind of void feeling, kind of just like you know, you're you're in purgatory, at least for me. And, you know, Steven brought this up earlier was just visually absolutely fucking fantastic. And it was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie is when he jumped in and, you know, the lights are going off and he swims down in this deep, deep swamp and he gets a skull out and, you know, finally, you know, makes it right. Yeah. I don't get why. I don't, get, I don't understand who the little girl was. Was there, was there no significance, or are we not supposed to care about significance? I think she plays more into the actual poem that the story um, "Gaywin and the Green Knight" is based after, and because it's a, it's a story that we're, that people read in high school, and I think what from what I read, he was writing this as he was reading it, so it's not the most pure adaptation. There are I feel like there are parts that are left out and not elaborated on and i think that being one of them hunter i think you read the the poem so you might be able to elaborate more on that yeah but i feel like there's stuff that's just left out it's pretty weird because in the poems that i went over and and researched in they just they really jump from when he leaves camelot after the year defeating the green knight to going to the next castle they skip over they they really skip over the whole he he gets robbed and then he sees this ghost. So I wasn't too sure what they were going off of, and just off reading, off, like hearing the poems, because I, I heard like three different variations of it, and all three of them didn't talk about this ghost. It just made me think of like maybe this is just another Arthurian uh, folklore, and they just mixed it into this film. Which did you know that one of the uh, translators of the poem was J.R.R. Tolkien? Tolkien. Damn. Yeah, I didn't. Say, I didn't see that. Yeah. That's sick. And, and if you think about it, the Green Knight looks like uh, Treebeard. I think it's Treebeard. Yeah, from Twin Towers. Yeah. So there's kind of. I feel like there's a little bit of a correlation there. He probably pulled from this and was like, "I'm, I'm using that." That's pretty sick. I didn't get Treebeard vibes. The fucking guy that's like, "Hello, little hobbit." <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, just just an appearance and just like that, the uh, the essence of the character. What do you mean, J.R. Tolkien was in? She was a what about this story? He, he 
he was the one of the original because I, I believe this was written in some sort of some from like old English. Mm-hmm. Like even even Shakespeare's stories have to be translated for mm-hmm. for our present day English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was the original one of the original translators of this poem. because this poem was lost in a fire for years, and then it was it was found later on. In the beginning, you see that you don't know who wrote this poem. So I feel like that kind of just adds to the mystical factor of it. You know, this thing was lost for generations and then found and then readaptated. And I don't know if you guys know, but there was two other movies that were made of this that were kind of TV movies. And one of them stars Sean Connery. I'm pretty sure he plays the Green Knight in one of these versions oh, of, of this film. It's from one of uh, res- as, like, the research I was doing, I, I kind of came across. Look, the Green Knight was badass. You know, yeah, one of the, one of the dopest characters in modern day yeah. Uh, fantasy films one of the most modern day fantasy films that i can remember i don't i don't remember anything like it recently kind of the, well, the kind of character that you would like to see a standalone movie about exactly right? like, yeah, yeah i'd like yeah. to see like, him be see... actually wield that axe and yeah. fucking cut some fool's heads off here's what the here's what the uh, the people in charge of this movie they really did a good they really made a good trailer um to get people in great trailer because um, i was i was pumped from the trailer and i was like whoa i like, guess this, this looks fucking different yeah, and then um, so well, I was going in there with I was going in there with different expectations though. I'm not taking away from what the movie means to people, what it means to you, Jay, because I think they, I think there's different meanings for other people. Like I think that right. I think the writer left it open um, as far as for interpretation. Um, but I want to see a fucking fight, dude. Yeah, and that's kind of like the beautiful thing about just art in general, right? It's it's well, that's what this was. This was like this was like a movie of a museum, uh, an art museum. Yeah, and you just follow you follow the the frames and and you and you see the story. Um, and a lot of the frame, a lot of the the shots were done like that. Um, still long, and um, almost Hard. over. Yeah, just really is, slow, really slow burning. Which is in you know in a sense also very beautiful to be able to have those long takes. And the the color, the, the like how Stephen mentioned the, the colors that are applied to it, and just like some of the transitions and the editing. I mean, like I said, but like I mentioned already, that the you're turning clockwise and seeing time, and then you go counterclockwise to see the reverse of time. These are things that don't equivalent to the modern day moviegoer. This is yeah. something for somebody that is. You're not going to get, it's not an action movie by any means. You're not going to go into this movie. You're not going to see any blood other than a little bit of the green blood at the beginning. You're not going to see a fight scene. You're not going to see sex or titties or any of the things that make Hollywood basically today. And I mean, in this movie, doesn't like, I couldn't even, you would put this movie in the seventies or eighties, even where there's, there's still more art house movies being made and it would still have a tough time in the box office. I feel like yeah. it's just because a 24 is what a 24 is now. And there's such a, Devout fan base to the production company and those movies that they're making and putting them on the mainstream for people that it's kind of awesome that they did do such a great trailer to put you guys in that theater in those seats because it's not a movie that you guys would have seen otherwise right yeah because as Mondo and Steven kind of already said they were expecting something completely different and didn't get that and I feel like to a lot of people that kind of like ruins it right away because when you see you see the, the even the title Green Knight, you're thinking you know crazy battle sequences that like kind of equal or are on par with like Gladiator in a sense. 
And when you don't get that, I just feel like it kind of diminishes your whole intrigue of continuing watching this film. So you guys knew it was a slow burn when it, when we walked in, or were you guys expecting no, the same thing? I was not. I was not expecting that at all. Yeah, I was. I mean, I I kind of wa- I watched the very first trailer that came out, and I think it was like forty five seconds, maybe a minute. It was like and his head burning, right? Yeah, I got like very quick glimpses of like the Green Knight, and then him, and then like Arthur, and a couple of other things. So I wasn't a hundred percent sure what I was really getting into either, um, and I feel like that kind of just when a, when a movie can kind of do that for me, especially is show me something, but then not live up to kind of that expectations, but also make me still execute. Yeah. Also. Yeah. But can still execute and make me enjoy the film. I kind of like it a little bit more. I went into that movie without seeing a single preview. I had, I I had no intention on, it wasn't on my to watch list. I watched it because that's what we picked. That's what, that's what you guys picked. And I was like, fuck it, whatever I'm down. And so the beginnings, like I didn't, I didn't even know it was King Arthur tale. I didn't know it was based on a poem. I didn't know anything about it. And so just getting into it, I'm like, oh fuck, that's the antagonist. That's the villain. It's going to be a dope ass movie about you know a journey to fucking go fight this villain in a year. And and I get what you guys are saying, where it, it promises one thing, but you still enjoyed it because it, it delivered on something totally totally different. Yes, yes. Um, I I I like I said, I visually it was great. Like I enjoyed everything that I saw. It just the story to me didn't didn't deliver. Mm. And I, I get the yeah. I get the I get the artistic viewpoints that you're trying to make, Jake. I I, I disagree with them. Um, I, I'm not sure what the director had in mind when he made this movie, but I don't think what you're interpreting is is what he was hoping would land. I mean, oh, I mean, but who's to say that that you're not onto something there? Um, the director of cinematography, I, I don't know his previous works. I don't even know who the director of cinematography was. I'll look it up right now. But he didn't, I'm he sure hasn't that, done anything else. I looked, I looked him. He didn't, I forget his name, but he didn't. He, he, said a, he, did, I, he, did, he, did, he did a ghost story. He I feel like he's with David Lowry. Oh, I was going to say, I feel like he's like a music video director or a music video. He's, uh, he's dir- very recently popped up. Okay. I mean, if, I, mean I, I wouldn't want to go off that, man, because David, David Fincher started off his his directing career from directing music videos. I'm not saying anything negative about that. I'm just saying okay. it, I, okay. the, just the way that it, it catches your eye, the way yeah. that, you know, he, he played with the landscapings, um, just that kind of back. I got, I got those vibes, but I mean, I could be completely off. Uh, but I just to back to the original point. Um, the story, the, the movie started off with you thinking it's going to be one thing. Turns out it's completely just the reverse it's not yeah. that at all it's in my opinion it's about a dude trying to trying to find out who he is and what he's made of but also yeah. tripping the whole way there because yeah. i don't know if what he did really happened yeah like he took the shrooms and at, at that point when he took the shrooms that's when i was like okay the rest of this movie is like it's it's going to be distorted because who knows what he fucking just ate yeah, I feel like that kind of proves my point of earlier of when you, the whole everything's kind of um, a, a trip, basically. You know, as I was, as I was saying earlier, maybe like he's he is envisioning these things happening to embellish his story a little bit more to, to make him sound more heroic and to just kind of build up his name more and his legacy. And even though uh, in the end, none of these things are really what's happening. I feel like the whole movie is kind of a trick on the mind, which is another reason why I kind of like it. I kind of like when a movie fucks with my head. Yeah, I, I didn't. 
I didn't get fucked with my head too much. I just, I don't know, dude. I got, honestly, the movie lost me about halfway through. It was an hour. I looked down on my phone and it was an hour into the movie. And I was like, fuck, it's already an hour. And it was just, I don't know. I felt like it was, the, it lacked, it, it was very, the continuity was, sub, was substantial. It was great. It just, I didn't feel like the substance for the plot was there. Um, but that's just my, that's just how I feel um, about it. I, oh, I, yeah. Agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I love, I love the quality, the quality. It's like, I thought I, I went on a limb and said it was a $40 million budget. Um, when Jake said, when Jake pulled up or Hunter pulled up the number 15 million, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, the, the imagery, the pageantry, the, um, I love the I love the crowns for the king and the queen. Yeah, they were yeah, built. Those were sick. Those were sick. You don't you um, never see I've never seen crowns like that in a movie before. Yeah. No. yeah. Um, you know the Green Knight, his horse, how he reminded me of when the those ravens were looking for um, Frodo and yeah um, in the forest. Yeah. Oh damn. Yeah. Good so, pull, baby. Yeah. And, so and, I, and those ravens are super sick in the Hobbit, by the way. So dude, so like like I wanted to feel something that i don't know that i didn't i didn't get i didn't get like like i said earlier i give me a fight it's a movie about a night it's a movie about nights but if i think the more i think about it like don't even give me a fight just give me something that's gonna be an explanation to something that's really cool like they they had it there like you said jake the the um the shield breaking the, the virgin mary they really didn't explain what it was like i'm i'm sure like somebody that i'm sure there's a book on this right yeah, there there is. So I'm sure if, if this this is a shout out to the readers of the book, they they probably were like, oh shoot, that's the shield that you know the the five star medal that the king was wearing. It represents one of the something like that. The, the stars right. that they're wearing represented the five virtues of being a knight, according to the old Arthurian. Uh, yeah. Tale. Okay. Cool. That's like it's bad. Like there were so many parts of this movie that could it could have been really badass. But I get the appreciate. Like I, I do appreciate it. I appreciate how Jake and Hunter are looking into it um, and diving deep into what each scene means, what's what these symbols represent. But to the plain viewer, somebody that's going there, not knowing about any of this, we're not going to know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, here. yeah. And I feel like as we were talking about earlier, the trailer is very misleading to somebody who is going into the movie not really giving a fuck about like any kind of what the original story is about. More so of a you know, kind of seeing all of these high intensity scenes. And when you don't get that, it's like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, this isn't what I really signed up for. Yeah. So I, I, I can fully understand on the, on that point of where you're coming from. So, well, and then, and then I don't want to diss on the director writer because fucking I, I can never do anything close to what he's done, but I can still be critical. Yeah. And that's for not sure. the point. That's why, that's not why anybody ever does anything. Yeah. I don't want to do anything for somebody to be able to talk about it and like you don't take criticism like oh well you can't fucking ever do something like this because you're right that person can't and they still have a fucking opinion and you what you did didn't hit any of their cylinders but that doesn't mean that it didn't hit cylinders on two of the four people in this room you know what i mean so like yeah you can't take you like the director like you can't take this as a loss because half of the room didn't see it like still there's one person that did to the two people you know what i mean like yeah it's still it still did and i mean if you guys have already said it still did something for you there were just certain elements that didn't do it so it didn't yeah. hit on all five cylinders it hit on three of five you know what i mean 
I got a question. Uh, did any were any of you able to read the fucking big ass old English letters that popped on screen? Oh, those were a little no. quick. So yeah, I, went too fast. I think yeah, I read yeah. half of them. Yeah, I think I got like maybe two or three out of the five. Yeah, I remember turning to Mondo and I was like, dude, what? And I, I, I apologize to Jake because Jake kept looking over, telling me to shush during the movie. But, <laughs> um, I like I, 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 I talked. I told Mondo, I was like, did you were you able to catch any of that? Yeah, when, and, when you have when you have something as know. old as old like that old fucking English, it's yeah, tough you need to, a little longer to sit. Yeah, there. yeah, you need at least like you know seven to eight se- or ten to eight to ten seconds of that just being on the screen, so you can fully grasp of what they're yeah. trying to say with these letters. And I hey. feel like they just flashed on the screen. Yeah, well, they, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't have done well, that. I know Tarantino does similar stuff like that, but I don't know. That could be borderline uh, lazy writing to to introduce a new scene. You know, you don't have to, I don't want things to be thrown in my face. I want to be able to, to figure it out on my own. Like, I feel like that's kind of, uh, um, he's really giving a shout out because another one of these movies that he, he credits for this is like the passion of Joan of Arc by Carl Dreyer. Who's like, it's like a, it's a silent film. Both silent film. Yeah. Really so good. I feel, I, for a silent so I, film, it's really good. So I feel like that's kind of like a play on it and you're right. Tarantino does do it, but Tarantino at least leaves the words on for a little longer and it's, more legible uh yeah you know so it's, more it's a little, handwriting yeah you know the font is a lot easier to read and understandable because kubrick does it too in his films where he's telling you know where the story is broken up where he'll put an image up there of like oh this is this part of the scene you know so yeah i feel like when they do it but if they when they're using a font like this that's a little bit harder to read for for our eyes they should have left it on there for a little bit longer you know so yeah. I, I i back that it's it was way too quick way too flashy and before i forget uh you guys mentioned fucking Willow was an inspiration or to the, yeah. to the director's yeah. movie. Uh, there was, there was one scene during the movie where Mondo looked at me and was like fucking mad mod again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The scene <laughs> and, where he, he walks by and he sees the skeleton in the cage. Yeah. 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 And so I just, I just wanted to mention that because that, that to me was one of the cooler parts of the movie where, I mean, it, maybe not cooler parts of the movie, but it was just, it was like fuck yeah, that is that is fucking Willow because it's 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 like in the times of Willow because in, in yeah. Willow they're yeah you know the mythological creatures fucking uh, give me a knights. troll in, give me a troll in the movie yeah, yeah giants yeah because those, like, those are like stone di- giants those are like make believe giants I want to I want to jump really quick because make believe giants all giants are make believe because Bondo not that's not true the super there's a, there, there's a tribe in uh, Arizona that said that they used to fight giants in the Nephilim. times. The Nephilim. So watch what you say, because I've, I've had one of these members of my tribe in my house, and he was telling me some stories. Anyways, yeah. I think it's yeah. the Hoppy tribe. I think it's the Hoppy tribe. I know all about the giants, baby. I was the one who said Hopi the other day, dog. <laughs> Any, anyways, I want to jump to we're – miss, we're missing – I feel like we're going to miss a lot of the substance of this movie. But when he goes to the castle and there is the man and the woman who are essentially like desire, Lord, desire Lord and Bertilac. innocence, desire and innocence, in a sense, if, you know what I mean? Because he desires her, but there's innocence in the man. And he tells, he tells uh, Gawain that whatever you receive in this house, whatever it may be, I just want you to give it unto me and I will bring you the best of the forest. But we don't even have to go elaborate on those on those two characters. I want to talk about the fucking woman with the blindfold. 
Like Mondo said earlier about like uh, the the ghost, and there's not like any elaboration on the ghost and what that story is. What where the where's the fucking elaboration on that woman? Why is she there? Why is okay, she so, so creepy? Who I, is that? Never did anything. I, I, I never did I, anything, I, but just like walked around and shadowed people and just been creepy. No, yeah. I, I I can kind of explain to this because if you've seen if you've read the original story, you'll understand what's what's more so of going on. So I don't know if you guys if you if you guys noticed, but the same actor played his. Uh, uh, whore at the brothel, Essel, that yeah. played the lady that was at uh, that yeah. castle. So when he sees babe. her, so yeah. So when he sees her for the first time, his his face kind of lights up, and he's just like, I feel like he has this sense of remembrance of her, but she looks a lot more beautiful as this lady in the castle. Um, accor- like what, according to the legend, um, that old maid is really his mom, uh, Morgan Le Fay. Uh, using witchcraft to transform herself into this old maid to watch over him while he's there. And uh, that's, that's why he sees her just looking at him uh, multiple times. The only, the only thing that they do in the movie. Yeah. The only thing they do in the I movie to kind of, uh, the only thing they do in the movie to kind of to allude to this is in the sequence that we see the only two people who wear blindfolds is that lady and then his mom when she does the spell. Okay. So so that's kind of like the only thing in the movie yeah. that you can really put these two together. But in the old tale, that's that's who that old lady is. It's Morgan Le Fay. Okay, and that goes back to Mondo's comment earlier where that might have been something for somebody referring to the ghost where if you read that, you know exactly who that is yep. or the exactly. shit. Exactly, like, okay, yeah. Fuck it. Yep. Okay, so that's cool though. I like that. I, I, that that's a good correlation. It's it's not – it should have been a little bit more elaborated on. Yes, I think maybe you're right. You're there right. could have been a flashback to Camelot and we see the woman – we see his mom with a, with a blindfold on and like the witch is around her or something. In a, and she's in a trance exactly. or doing something. In a yeah. trance, yeah. Then there, was a, there was an opportunity to make a really fucking spooky scene right there. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. Yeah. I, I, I agree, man. Um, I kind of I kind of like this whole sequence in the movie a lot because reading more upon it, uh, the the Lord there, Lord Bertilak, who's played by Joel Egerton, is at the end is really the Green Knight, and he is enchanted by his mom Morgan Le Fay, who sets up this whole thing to go on to test one of the knights of King Arthur's Roundtables, and it just so happens to be Garwin, in the lore. In the lore, yeah, in, in in the lore, not not precisely very you know elaborated in the film. And who was uh, the Green Knight? The guy that kissed him? Yeah, yeah, Lord. Lord you know Lord what? Knight. I got vibes out of that. I was thinking like that was going to be a twist. Like he yeah, was the so, Green Knight. And so, he yeah. kind of did allude to it too when he was like, "Oh yeah, it's, it's not. It's just it's not that far over here. It's yeah, be there he, before the night. If you yep. if you can leave at night, be there in the night. Like it's not. And it is pretty close to where the castle is. So. And yeah, that was and basically that, just attempt Gawain to not go and stay and not face yeah. his fears. Yeah, ba- ba- basically it was more so, yeah, of to see if like he was really comfortable there and to see if he would venture out and go and do his deed or stay. And- but you see, the problem with that is I never got that he was afraid. Like I always, it always seemed to me that he was down that to go and to, um, you know, face his fate. I never yeah, got I- that. I never, yeah, he was fucking up a lot, but he, I didn't get... Um, um, that he was scared. That he was scared. Yeah, yeah you're, you're right. Because I mean, even yeah. to the point where he didn't have any food and he ate the mushrooms because that's all that he had left and gave yeah. some to the, gave some to the fox and yeah. like he he kept going on his quest. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I feel like for a lot of people that may watch this movie get very confused about the scene where um, the Lord kisses uh, Garwin. Um, in the in the original uh, folklore, he actually kisses him multiple times. Um, because his wife keeps making advances on him. And if you're paying attention to the movie, he says, whatever you receive here, you have to give to me. Right. And so his wife kisses him because she, she, she leeches onto him and he doesn't want to be 
disrespectful to her or to the Lord. So he kisses her once. She does it again, kisses him a second time, does it again, kisses him three times. And then each time when the hunter gets back the Lord, he, he reciprocates this kiss, but never he never tells him why he's being kissed. So then how come the Lord never came on his belt? That that part wasn't in uh, in the folklore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, that, that was another part that was kind of like, whoa, what the what the fuck? Yeah, um, at least let them bone. Don't make I, them. I think don't, they did. Don't ha- no, he came in his hands. He was masturbating. Well, uh, because I, I, because she says you're not really a knight, are you? Yes, that yeah. that that's another thing too. Or it's just like letting him know that it's like you're not really you're not really who you think you are, which is what I really think that David Lowry was trying to show the people. Maybe he just didn't do that great of a job on elaborating of what he was trying to say yeah. in that sequence. Because in the in the lore, she's the one that originally gives him that green sash, not his mom in the very beginning. She's the one that gives them to gives By that the way, to him. Who is that? Uh, her name is Alicia Vikander. She's an ex machina too. She's yeah. She she's so she's so ugly. You think so? Yeah, hideous. I think she's kind of cute. <laughs> no, she's fucking hot, man. I, mean, I don't want to get it. I don't want this podcast to turn into like a. Oh, she's so hot. Who would you rather? <laughs> but, but she is. She's a beautiful woman. Mary date fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what he said. All of them. Yeah. So I feel like now we're now we're progressing along here. We're getting into when he goes to the Green Chapel, and he walks up to the Green Chapel and he places the axe in front on on the steps in front of the Green Knight, and he waits there for what seems like a day, day and a half, before the Green Knight wakes up, and the Green Knight says, "Oh, so you actually came," and says, "Now I'm going to do unto you what you have done unto me. I'm going to cut your head off," and then Gawain flinches a few times we forget to mention the green belt and its powers no no we talked about it but Galen's yeah. he lost it and then he got another one which magically that was a stupid part well hunter just hunter just talked about that because in the original folklore the, the green belt was given to him by the the mistress of that of that castle that he okay. lost. lady bertilax her name yeah was. and okay. we have seen that it, since he was jacked in the beginning in that what we first talked about by that at the battlefield where he meets that kid who essentially is a robber all of these things were, ro- were robbed from him and are slowly returned to him as he starts progressing on his journey and the green the green sash was given to him after he gets advanced on by the mistress of this house and says i have a gift for you this will allow you to not you're basically invincible You'll not be able to be struck in upon. And then he goes, okay, so fast forward, he goes to the Green Chapel. He's wearing the sash and he's continuing to be flinched by the Green Knight, but getting ready to drop his axe. We see, we then see a, a, a vision of the future where it feels like when you're watching the movie, it feels like it is what is actually happening and it is. It is Gawain returning to Camelot. Well, Jake, you missed you. You forgot to explain to people that Gawain avoids the strike to his head, so he doesn't die. He escapes and runs away from the Green Knight. Well, that's what I was alluding to with the flinching. So I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Mono's right. Mono's right. So he is. So he escapes. He gets back to Camelot without being struck in, and he essentially sees 
a vision of his future and it is awful. It is like, it is, he is not honorable and it eventually leads to his demise as king of Camelot. Not even just King of Camelot too, it, or like his demise. It's it's the fact of the loss of love of the people, you know. And this time, King Arthur is lo- beloved by all of people, his, you know, his his kingdom. And when Gawain becomes king in this dream sequence of his, basically, he he's really hated on by everybody because he's not the, he's not the same kind of king. There's a scene in this dream sequence where he comes back from a battle and he gets shit thrown at him. And that's just kind of letting us know that the people don't respect him as a man or a king. Right. And that's not, that was never the, the case for Arthur. Right. And he turned out to be King Jeffrey. And it's funny because one of, one of, one of the <laughs> things I saw, they, 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 they compared the two basically. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. But, and then he eventually snaps out of it. The green knight is ready to drop his ax again. And then Gawain says, he doesn't flinch, but he says, one moment and takes like he doesn't say one moment verbatim but he essentially says one moment takes off the sash of invincibility and then allows the green knight to strike him the green knight essentially tells him you have passed you won my chocolate factory you're good yeah but i feel like the movie kind of leads you to develop your own interpretation of what's going to go on because the last thing he says is off with your head and it's like but then he, he saying, just touches his neck. Yeah, so it's like, is he saying this to like just be playful and joking around, or is he still going to strike him down? You kind of have to leave that up to your own imagination yeah. of what the Green Knight does to him after that, which I kind of like in movies when I walk out of the theater and I can I can envelop my own story after watching the movie to kind of progress this hero's tale. Um, personally, for me, I like that because I feel like my imagination suits that kind of genre of a film. Which is why I came to the conclusion that at where I related it to religion and Christianity at that point, he has been forgiven for his sins, for his cowardliness that he has displayed throughout the movie. He has now shown strength by accepting his fate. And instead of live, because for me, like when, when I envision, I mean, to talk about Christianity, when I, how I envision hell, hell is all the things that you didn't want to do living forever. Like those things that are, that are called sin. And Purgatory. Living, living forever with those thoughts in your head and not ever finding peace. And his peace was losing his son, uh, taking, taking his son away from his wife, who was that whore at the hostel or at the brothel, leaving her out on the street, becoming a shit king, literally getting shit thrown at him, losing his son, losing his, losing his head, basically, because the castle collapses on him. At that point, he is now forgiven because he has shown strength he has now been deemed worthy of the Green Knight and has been allowed to, to live, has been forgiven. That, and that's like how you said, Hunter, that is, it's left open for interpretation. That is just how I have interpreted it. Yeah, because I know that from what I've got from listening to the multiple versions of the folklore is that in that moment is when Lord Bertilak takes off his helmet and reveals who he truly is and tells uh, Garwin what's really going on. They didn't really say, at least from what I what I saw and heard, uh, what happens right after that. It kind of really ends from when he takes his helmet off and tells him that like, oh, like you, like Jake said, you, you passed basically. Is this a Christmas movie? Fuck no. Can That's you watch it at Christmas? <laughs> That's a negative ghostwriter. Okay. It's like so, Die Hard, you can watch it at Christmas. 
Um, what was I gonna say? The green belt thing still. He he was already ready to go face the Green Knight without the green belt. I don't. He, I, that's what I don't understand. Like, he but it was already, just returned to him. It was a part of his. It was well, a part, yeah, it was but part he was ready protection. to go. He was ready to be without it already. In those moments, it makes me think of: Was he more afraid to face the Green Knight, or more afraid to face the ridicule he would receive going back to Camelot, not fulfilling his journey and quests? So I feel like maybe that was like more sort of like an internal conflict. Like he doesn't really want to go, but he can't go back until he does this. But yeah. that that was kind of something that I was thinking while watching the movie, and then more so after the movie. Yeah, well, you got You can't forget the reason why he went and and why he chose to do the challenge in in the first place. Because he needed a story to tell. Right. Yeah. So that pretty much answers that question. I what I question? Don't, I don't know. I, I don't know though because he's not he's not like as you were saying earlier. He's not your typical knight, you know. In that first sequence, he doesn't even have a sword. And in that first moment where they all whip their swords out, I was fucking stoked. I'm like, this 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 shit's dope. And he was the only one that doesn't have one. Um, so maybe that's just more of a play on that. He's not a knight. He doesn't have to carry these weapons around. I'm not, I'm not too sure. Really. Mm-hmm. I got a couple of cool little tidbits before we wrap up here. This movie was almost entirely shot on location in Ireland, which is something mm. we discussed yesterday yep. with the $15 million budget. I thought maybe a lot of it was on set to save yeah. money, but it was almost entirely on location in Ireland. And then which secondly, is, which is sick which is super sick because Ireland is green, the green Isle, And this movie is about the green night being green nature, all that, all that shit. And then secondly, this was, <laughs> this was composed by a man named or Daniel Hart, who also did the exorcist show among other things, but that was like the one thing that kind of stood out for me. I never watched the show, but I know that I had read that David Lowry, Laurie tells all of his composers to make this as much of a horror film as you can, as far as music goes. And that I feel like that kind of translates to this movie and even like a ghost story and some of his other works, like it sounds like it should have been a horror film, but it wasn't right. Like I didn't, get, kinda, I didn't get horror film vibes from the soundtrack at all. It's kind it's, of, it's kind of eerie. It's yeah. got five. The movie itself has five genres. Yeah, because I, I feel like just anytime you have a choir going over your your instruments, it adds that more dramatic effect to it, and it could it could lean a different way to where you know we've talked about obviously John Williams and like Duel of the Fates is one of our favorite you know songs for a Jedi fight. Favorite. Yeah, you know for a Jedi fight, uh, but to you to kind of correlate the two, or it's like this is a completely different way of using uh, the choir. But it's it still works in a sense, and I, I can kind of get where he's coming from hiring somebody who worked on uh, on the Exorcist show because that show was fucking scary. Where, where this movie lacked in um, explaining or uh, showing a story, and they made up for with the soundtrack with all this overly thrown at you uh, operatic uh, choir noises. Like it was too much. One more. I want to listen to the soundtrack. Yeah, I, 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 maybe, maybe it was a little too much. I'd have to go back and listen to it again to see if the tones that they were humming are a little bit different throughout. And if they're not, I'd have to rewatch it again to get a better perspective of it. Then Mondo, Mondo's uh, statement is correct because they do kind of use this same sort of humming noise throughout the entire film. I thought it was sick. No. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, was I, cool. I, I, I liked, I, yeah. Yeah, I liked it, but it's just that if, if it was different, if the if the hummings were in different sequences 
for the certain moments of the film, then I'm, I then fuck yeah, sick. But if it's the same humming throughout these moments of time, then it's a little bit played out is what Mondo is trying to. It's very noticeable. Uh, we've, we've said it before that a good soundtrack um, sometimes leave the movie um, wondering if there was a soundtrack because it, it, it melded it so well with the, right. the actual film. Yeah, because I feel like it did a really good job about that for the first hour and 10. But as Mondo says, it kind of gets uh, used up a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Have to, again, but I have to go back and listen to it to see if the if the hums are a little bit off tuned. But kind of off the first listen, it sounds like the same fucking things that they're saying and humming throughout the throughout the movie. Not yeah. to say that not to say that I didn't like it though because I did. I mean, anytime a, a choir is introduced to a film, I fucking it's I like think listening. It's, I think it's, dope. it's like listening to um, what's the Darth Maul song, uh, "Duel of the Fates." I just said that, I, but listening to it for a full two hours. Don't tempt Hunter now, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of just, just, just swayed me and Jake film. a little bit more. Let's rate, let's rate this movie. I'll go first. I'll go first. I lo- I loved. Um, I said I said it. I go this movie. The the director got a bunch of money, and he wanted to spend all that money on um, traveling to location filming, and they wanted to spend it on cool cameras. And that's what I get out of this. They, you know, the director picked a cool spot. He knows his film. Uh, he knows his lenses well. And he knows how to frame a shot. That's 100% sure. As far as storytelling, storytelling goes, um, it failed for me on a lot of levels. If I had known there was a book, because um, it sounds like the book's pretty badass, maybe I would have dived into it to get what the movie was about. But since I didn't, uh, went in there blind, didn't know anything about the movie, and left trying to figure out what the fuck everything meant on my own. Like, so, after all that being said, I think I think it deserves at least a seven points for me. Oh, okay, I like that. I like that, Mondo. I'll I'll, I'll take your seven points. I take that. <laughs> thank you for ahead, elaborating. On, thank you for elaborating on a little bit too. Um, for, for me, um, as you know, Steven and Mondo have already said visually to the eye, this movie is fucking awesome. Uh, Mondo just said it. The shot sequences are amazing. I love, I love when a movie, when the, the camera turns upside down because it puts you in another world. Uh, Jordan Peele does it for, um, his first film. What's the name of it? I can't think. Get out. You know, yeah. Jordan, he does it for get out and it puts you just in this, this upside down universe where things are not what they seem. Um, story-wise, it is a little bit, it is a little tough to grasp what's going on. Uh, there isn't very much explaining to certain characters or what's really happening to the movie. I feel like it does help having a little bit of knowledge going into this film. So you just kind of fully grasp of what they're trying to say. Personally, I love these kind of, uh, old epic or epic tales. Um, I thought the acting in it was very, was very well. Uh, David Lowry did a good job of directing this movie storyline. I thought was decent. Dialogue was good. Um, there's a couple of things in this movie that we've already talked about that kind of pushed me away a little bit, looking back into the movie afterwards, you know, it brings it to light. And I don't really like that. I kind of like, I like it better when a movie kind of explains the whole thing for me without having to do really any research, but that's just really on the viewer and, you know, your, 
your fucking whatever you like to watch. Uh, for me, I'm going to give this movie a 7.8. I like this movie a good amount. I'll watch it again. Wasn't my favorite A24 film, but I'm for sure going to check this movie out a couple of more times. Fuck yeah. I'll go next. Um, I think for me, uh, I by now you guys already know what I really enjoyed on the movie. Um, I think leaving the theater, I was way more critical than I was after thinking about the movie. Um, when I left the theater, I was kind of upset that I didn't get to see things that I wanted to see. But, you know, uh, afterwards, you know, thinking about what I was able to see, I was, you know, it was, it was good. I think the actors, I think they played their roles spot on or the way they were written for them to be. Uh, the score was fantastic. Uh, camera work was fucking, you know, great. If whoever this DP was, if he wasn't making fucking big movies before this, he's, I, I foresee his future pretty, pretty bright considering how, how great of a job he did with, with his eye on this movie. Um, you know, I, I, I personally, I, you know, I, I think you guys both gave great scores. I, I think this movie is a six, eight. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily want to see it again, but I feel like I have to see it again just to pick up on, you know, nuances that I might've missed when I watched it the first time. Um, because I, I know I missed some things that, that are worth picking up on. Um, Jake keeps, you know, telling about, you know, uh, a, a Christian story or, or like roots to Catholicism or Christianity. Uh, I, I, I want to revisit and, and try to pick up on those notes. So um, it's definitely going to be worth a revisit for me just to watch again, but 6.8 is what I got. Jake, go ahead, baby. I feel like we all know that I, I like this movie. I like the, the different elements of the movie that are displayed. I hate and I love that I walked into this movie expecting something that I didn't get, and I still like the finished product that I was I was provided. It's uh, it's definitely an art house film. If you're looking at the Green Knight and you think it's a medieval tale and you're expecting a Lord of the Rings or a King Arthur kind of tale, it's something totally different. Yep. It's something that is uh, a story of this Arth- Arthurian universe where. Most of those stories are told with steel and blood and sweat. And this one is told with those things with just sweat. There's no blood or steel involved in this. And I like that. I like that it's something different and it's original. And it's, I, I like the score. I like the color. I, I try to do more research to find out what kind of camera lenses they use because and we talked about this already. The shots, the cinematography in this movie is absolutely beautiful. Like there's some, some stuff is just like, just jaw dropping. Like, wow. Like what? Like, wow. I, this movie is an eight, two. Yeah. I'm going to give it an eight, two. Yeah. I like that. And I'm, 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 I'm very happy with uh, Steven's perspective right now too, because again, we saw this movie together. So initial reactions, we all knew of how everybody <clears throat> kind of felt. And I really thought he was going to grade this movie a lot lower. So uh, I'm stoked that he, I don't know if maybe our, our interpretations made it a little bit better or if he just kind of thought about it a lot more, but I, I, I love that. That puts the, the final vintage score on the green Knight at a 7.5. It's pretty good. Yes. Yeah. I, I like think, that. I think, I think like Ron tomatoes, IMBD has it at a eight one. So we're, it's pretty on, on par. 
But yeah. We're better than them. Right. I mean, of course, but you know. Um, I want to see. I want to see another movie this guy does. I just hopefully it's not fucking snooze fest. I mean, Peter Pan and Wendy comes. It's in post production. We'll see that probably next early next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't see any. I can't watch any Disney movies right now. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to boycott those movies, babies. <laughs> I definitely want to check out Eat Them Body Saints. I feel like it's kind of a Bonnie and Clyde tale. Uh-huh. What's it Ghost called? Or Ain't Them Bodies Saints. Huh. Uh, I definitely, if you thought this was a slow burn, I wouldn't recommend a ghost story because that is a slow burn on steroids. Oh, Very wow. slow. Uh, it's probably it's just probably a snooze fest. Uh, and then Pete's Dragon, which is a Disney story. Um, Pete, Pete's Dragon is actually really cool. I, uh, I, I fucked up and I watched his version before I watched the original and I watched the original right afterwards. And I, I really dig his, uh, his depiction of the tale. I mean, the old man in the gun too, Robert Redford, Casey Affleck, Sissy Spacek. I think Robert Redford is like an old timer that it goes back to robbing banks. Yeah. He's I, thought it was kind of, I, I, I thought it was kind of stupid when I saw the trailer. I was like, Oh, this looks dumb. But upon now that I, I kind of, I want to get more into David Lowry and see what else he's done and kind of put it to scale. I'm gonna watch that movie. Yeah, I, okay. I, I saw that one with uh, with Johnson when he lived with us, and it's another it's another slow burner. Um, but with all of kind of the other aspects of making a film, it's done very well. Mm. Beautiful. Well, fuck yeah, boys! That's it for this week's episode of the Vintage Podcast, everybody. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing. We appreciate everybody who listens, as always. Um, boys, do you have any closing thoughts, Hunter? No closing thoughts, baby. I would just recommend, I think I've said it before, go into a movie with a complete open mind, even after watching the trailer. Trailers allude to a completely different fucking story that they're trying to tell. Um, don't get sucked into those. Go into those with your own real perspective and come out with it and just enjoy really what you saw. And if it sucks, it sucks. If you can take anything from it, then it's they, the director did something for you. Beautiful. Jake. Go watch something before they lock us down again. Yeah, Amen, dude. True, baby. That is true. Mondo. <clears throat> oh, me. Oh, life. Of the questions of these recurring. Of the endless trains of the faithless. Of cities filled with the foolish. Oh, me. Oh, my. <laughs> Nothing. Damn, I, wish I, you gotta, I wish you kept going there. I was into it. Steven was looking at me way too hard. Yeah. <laughs> I was just looking at you act it out, baby. Love Fucking it. Shakespearean. Which, it, I mean, considering the, <laughs> considering the movie we saw, I mean, it was it was right up there with like Shakespearean. Shakespearean. For sure. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. What, yeah. Is, what does Billy Madison say? Does he just do the 2B or not 2B? Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly what he does. Um, well, shit. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really have any recaps either, man. Um, I know we're working on an Instagram page. We'll let everybody know as soon as that shit comes up to fruition. Um, other than that, everybody, that's it from us at the Vintage Podcast. Like Jake said, uh, enjoy it while you can. Go watch something. Later, everybody. There, guys. Stop, stop the lockdowns. <laughs> Later, boys. Love you guys. Feel on. Son of a bitch. Talk radio? Yes, talk radio. So boring, man. Okay, okay. The car just Just committed suicide. In case I don't see ya.
Good afternoon, good evening, and good